the book of 1 John. 1 John, and that's what I, I mentioned. We're going to be looking at several different things today, trying to understand how believers should prepare for the Lord's Supper to the best of our ability. We're going to be we're going to be discussing also the the question that comes up from time to time. Why is there pain and suffering in the Christian life? We're going to be kind of covering some of that. And and is pain and suffering even a part of the Christian life? Because there are those out there preaching. uh, And I don't want to I don't want to. attack I don't want to attack a, a, a another person that's trying to uh, preach the word or preach something or whatever but um, the prosperity gospel is not really a legitimate message I hope you understand that I mean it's uh, you've got to understand you've got to understand that the word of God if you look at it uh, the the scriptures as a whole you're going to see a lot of pain and suffering and heartache in the lives of Christians. And, you're, and we're not, just because we're Christians doesn't mean that we're immune to difficulties and challenges and heartache and heartbreak. And uh, so <clears throat> I'd be careful if I was drawn to the prosperity gospel because of the fact that it's a feel-good gospel and um, it it really doesn't give you the full story. Uh, and so we need, to, we need to understand as best we can in this life what God is trying to teach us and show us about uh, living the Christian life and, and getting to know Him better and loving Him and, and, uh, and, and finishing strong. Finishing strong. So I want to start... Uh, in this first John, it's a very familiar passage. I haven't used it a lot lately, but we have used it here in the in the time we've been together. But um, it's it's a very familiar passage. Verse six: If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie. We lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin and that folks, we really need to. I've got this all highlighted in my Bible. Verse eight, all of it, all of this whole highlighted in beautiful iridescent green type. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Now, 
I think that you and I need to understand the importance, and I, and I, often, I often think about this as we deal with the Christian life and we deal with uh, things that challenges that we face in the during the week. But I just I often wonder as a Christian, as believers, as we've come together today to worship, I just wonder collectively and individually, how many sins do you think we've all confessed during the week? Because, you know, I, I'm just, I'm a little concerned that Christians are just going through life and not taking seriously the importance of admitting that I have sinned. It seems so basic, doesn't it? I mean, it seems so absolutely basic. But, but to go through a week and to look up and say, you know, at the end of the week, I probably didn't ask God for forgiveness over one or two times. I just don't think that's reality. I just don't think that's reality. I think there are too many sins of omission and sins of commission. Now, we're not talking about going out and robbing a bank. We're not talking about doing heroin. We're talking about the things, the details of life that God plays, gives us as instructions for the, from the Word of God that we must be paying attention to. And we, and we often... I think we just go through life. We're so busy and, 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 and we might even say something like, Lord, forgive us for all our sins. And, and, we, and we do kind of think that we've just had a big old bucket here and we've got all of our sins that we've confessed during the week or that we have committed during the week. And so to take care of that at mealtime or sometime, we say, Lord, forgive me for all my sins. But I'm, I'm very well pretty convinced that God wants the detail. He's interested in the detail of as we walk, as we are walking with him. And I go to the left and he wants me to go to the right. He, he wants me to be aware of that. He wants me to be aware of that. Because timing... Arriving on time at a certain place at a certain time is important to God. And so it's, I think, individual. So if we say that we don't have sin and we've not sinned, then look at what the Word of God says. If we, if we, so if you're not confessing our sin, I used to go to these conferences, uh, Keswick, conventions in Houston with uh, Dr. Gerald Melton, and he was all into it. He was like the head. He would arrange the speakers and everything every year, and, and he got us to go into that, and they had different titles for each night, and every preacher, they all would preach on the same, and one night, I think it was like Tuesday night, they would preach on sin and failure in the Christian life. Sin and failure in the Christian life. And so, we, we need to be aware as believers. Now, if you're looking for a, a warm, uh, feel-good message, this is not the place to come. Because God is saying, I want you to be aware 
of every time you've been disobedient, every time I've said go and you and you stopped. I want you to be aware of those things. And I want you, and I believe this is what God is saying. He wants us so in tune with him that we recognize and we don't argue. We don't debate. We don't blame other people. We agree. That's what confession is. Agreeing with God that he's as his Holy Spirit, the finger of God, the spotlight of God is going deep down in our lives and our soul. And he's saying, this is it. This is sin. And you agree with him. You don't argue. You don't say, well, I didn't know any better or uh, well, if it hadn't been for them, I wouldn't be in this predicament. And if they hadn't said what they said, I wouldn't have done that. Now, we have to agree. Get the idea that you're gonna, we're going to get by with blaming other people for all this. I mean, that's what, you know, you've heard me say this before, but that's what criminals say. Officer, if you put me in jail tonight for this crime, you're going to ruin my life. No, buddy, you ruined your own life. It was your, your action that created this. So we need to be personally responsible before God and say, God, I, you are pointing it out. And listen, don't think for a minute that the devil is going to start pointing you to righteousness and, and getting you to thinking, uh, you know, about your, your ungodly and unholy life. He wants to fill your life full of that kind of garbage. And so he's not going to try to call your attention away from it or say, that's wrong. You shouldn't be doing that. So the Holy Spirit's saying, it's here and it's here and it's here. And our response should be, I agree, I agree, I agree. No debate, no excuses, just obedience. It's very simple. The sooner we can come to the place that we can agree with God, and that's what this is about, confession. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. So if you go all week, you say, I can't remember a sin. I think you're deceiving yourself. I don't know. I know that from what we've learned about motivational gifts, Motivational gifts, uh, prophet type people, motivated people, the people that are more outspoken against sin and more aware and call out sin more. They say, people say that they're harder on themselves than some other gifts. But I'm going to tell you what, I can't go through a week. I can't go through a week without the Holy Spirit pinpointing something in my life multiple times, not just once, but many times and saying, this is this is unchristlike. That thought, that attitude, that word to my wife, whatever it is. God brings it to mind. And so it's it's really important that we admit it, that we agree with him. And I think if we could have the Lord's Supper now, if we could all just say, I agree with you, God, and this is where I've sinned, and this is where I've sinned, and this is where I've sinned, and remove all the other people out of it, just take responsibility for our own sin.
If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just, forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar. If we say we've not sinned, we make him a liar. And his word, his word is not in us. Now, let me just, this is, this is something that, you know, when you meditate on Scripture, you think about Scripture, and you're thinking about a direction or whatever. Uh, I've heard all kind of teachings on this First John, okay? I've heard a lot of great Bible teachers teach on First John. I've heard some extreme views where verse whatever would be to non-believers and the other verse would be to believers and the other verse would be for non-believers and this would be for believers. And, and one of the points that's been made, I've heard people teach on this, one of the points that's been made, if you're born again, you're genuinely, and I, think about this with me, if you're born, genuinely born again, you have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. And you are on your way to heaven based on the grace of God, the finished work of Calvary, not of works, lest any man should boast. What if you never confess a sin from that day forward? Think about, think about that. Think about it. You are genuinely born again, but you fail to ever confess another sin from that day forward. Now, where are you going to go with that? Well, I'll just tell you what I really believe. And, and, and I've been in some, I wouldn't call it debates, but discussions and pretty healthy discussions where people disagree with this idea. But I, this is what I believe. I was taught this, but this is what I believe to this day. It's not just I'm parroting something that somebody else has, you know, said. But this is what I genuinely believe. Salvation is permanent through our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, believing on Him, trusting Him for salvation. We're locked in. We're secured forever because of the blood of the Lamb. Okay? So if we don't confess this, and people say this a very, they, they criticize me for even believing this, the one that I was discussing it with, but I believe it has to do with our walk and our fellowship with him. And that's what most of us have been taught as we've grown up. That if I don't confess and I'm not dealing with my sin, it doesn't affect my salvation because I'm locked in because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. I'm permanently saved. I'm forever saved. But my walk with him <clears throat> is not <clears throat> what it ought to be. I'm, I'm, uh, my heart is becoming dull and hardened. My conscience is getting harder and harder, and I'm slowly drifting away, not out of salvation, but I'm drifting away from the voice of God. Does that make sense at all? I mean, that's what we, that's what we have believed, and most of us cut our teeth on going through the Christian life. 
that it affects my walk, it doesn't affect my eternal salvation. But my fellowship with the Lord is definitely hindered to a point that I will, may not even hear the voice of God because my heart is so hardened because I'm not keeping. And like one preacher said, keep short accounts with God. When you sin that first time, confess it. Agree with him. Keep short accounts. Now, I just asked, this is, came to me fresh, brand new, didn't read it from anybody, but this was just from meditating, thinking about all this. How many times can you confess the same sin over and over? Think about it. All right, now, we're, we're locked in, right? We're locked in, we're secure for salvation based on the grace of God. So we're in for sure forever. And we believe the Bible teaches you cannot lose your salvation. Agreed? You can't lose it. Once you get, you can't do anything to get it and you can't do anything to lose it. So if I don't confess and I fail to confess, does that cause me to lose my salvation? No. Because that's not, that's not what salvation is about. It's initially confessing that I'm a sinner and initially admitting that, God, I, I, can't, I can't get myself to heaven. I'm putting my faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. So how many times could I confess the same sin over and over. Now, right off the bat, some spiritual theologian, some giant of the scriptures here, our, our congregation is going to run up to me afterwards and say, you're talking about abuse of grace. So if I see you running toward me at a mad dash, I'll know that's where you're headed. But I'm not talking about abusing grace. I'm talking about a sincere believer that, that is genuinely saved by the blood of the Lamb and you've, you've sinned and you've confessed it. And let, I mean, let's just for fun, let's just use gluttony. Because that, that one's easy. It's like Dr. T.W. Hunt, y'all remember that story. Years ago, we were at the table with Dr. T.W. Hunt and Skip Smith, and we were at this huge t dinner at their home, the Smith's home. And I didn't know, I, this first time, I was still in the police department, first time I'd ever been in that kind of circle with any these spiritual giants. So I was very intimidated, and Dr. Hunt was sitting right beside me, and I said to him, I'm just so glad that Jesus loved to eat. And he looked at me and he just so quietly said, and Jesus also knew when the next bite was sin. And I dropped my fork because I was really chowing down. I mean, I was really putting it in. Jesus knew when the next bite is sin. So. Let's just say you've, you've got the problem of gluttony. You don't know when to stop. You can't stop. 
And then when you once you do stop, you're bloated and you're miserable and you start confessing your sin. Oh, Lord, I'm so sorry I've done that. Lord, I, I know I've abused my body. And then first thing you know, about six hours later, you're back at the refrigerator and you're doing it again. And you're sneaking around. I had such a craving for Bluebell this week. I mean, I had a craving. And I think, I forgot who it was. Somebody here last week mentioned something about that new uh, Bluebell that's come out with the Dr. Pepper in it. And um, so I just, I had, it got in my mind. And I just, I was, I was just, I had a craving. And so I went to the little store in Normandy, you know, they've got about four lanes or four aisles or whatever, and um, went in there and I saw the Bluebell rack thing and I saw that Dr. Pepper one, but I didn't get it. I, I went back to the old standby, Tin Roof, Rocky Road, and Pralines and Cream. That's the one Linda and I both like together. It's very creamy. And... Uh, but I got home and I've already, I mean, I've already dipped it. I love to kind of thaw it out a little bit, let it get soft and everything. But it's a craving. And so I just have to ask you, and, and we're laughing and we're making, you know, but let me just ask you, is there something in your life that you are craving that you can't stop and you, you have to confess it over and over? How many times can you confess the same sin? Now, Human beings are going to put a limit on it. You, you watch. Somebody's going to say, well, now, I just think the Bible teaches that you're going to need to stop at 10. And once you get to 10, you probably aren't even a Christian in the first place. Listen, folks, I've heard just about all of the arguments. And, and somebody's going to say, no, I don't think it's 10. I think when you get to five, I think when you get to five, that's, that's it. Well, the Lord brought this to my mind this week. Let me just take you. Would you turn to Matthew 18? Now, and some may even disagree with this and say, I don't know where you came up with that, but I'll just say this is what came to my mind as I was meditating and thinking about all of this. Here's, here are the words, these are the words of Jesus. Then came Peter to him, this is verse 21 of chapter 18, Matthew. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him till seven times? See, that's what man, man wants to put a limit on forgiveness and asking for forgiveness. We want to say, okay, there's a limit. If you, go, if you go beyond that, you've crossed the line. But Jesus in 22 says, saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until 70 times seven. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven and likened unto a certain king, and it goes on with the parable. So, do you think Jesus is really putting a limit on a number? Or is he saying, forget about seven and forget about 
70 times 7, you're required to forgive as I have forgiven you. And you're to forgive each other as I've forgiven you. So if that's the case about forgiving in relationships, then why isn't, wouldn't it be the same if I struggle in a certain... I'm not talking about abusing grace. I'm talking about eating and failing, eating and failing, eating and failing, and agreeing with God and saying, God, I know I've done that, and here I am again. I'm on my face again, and I'm asking you again for forgiveness. I just, I don't believe, I don't think God is telling us that there is a number. If you reach that number, I will not forgive you. Our fellowship will be broken forever. I just don't believe that. I think man puts the limitations on it, and God says, forgive like I've forgiven you. Love like I've loved you. Forgive each other and confess. I think, I think I'm applying what I read here in the area of confession of sin. I don't believe that God wants us to put a limit on how many times you can confess the same sin. I think the emphasis is on confess it. And I, here's what I really believe happens. The more sensitive we are led by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is speaking to us and convicting us of sin. And when I am genuinely broken over my sin and I confess it, and then I look up, and three days later, I'm back at the refrigerator again doing the same thing, and I'm convicted again, and God says, that sin, you're sinning again. And I fall on my face again, and I say, Lord, I'm genuinely sorry. It, here I am, it's me again. I think he's interested, so interested in the tenderness of our heart. And I think that's where we're missing it. I think our hearts get so hard. In fact, the devil will whisper in your ear and say, you've already done that 10 times this week. Why even confess it? Just look at you. You're a no good. You're a, a terrible testimony for a Christian. I wouldn't even confess it to God. I wouldn't even talk to God about it. Just go ahead and go. <clears throat> you see, if we, if we can begin to understand a little bit about the heart of God and the mind of God, then we can understand how Scripture kind of fits together. And he's saying, what I'm interested in is your confession. Now, let me show you something real quickly. Um, boy, time is really slipping away, y'all. How did that happen so fast? Let's look at um, 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians like I said, we're preparing for the Lord's Supper this afternoon. Look at verse 23. This is uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting 23. For I have received of the Lord that which also I have delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. 
And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner, also he took the cup. And when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, this do ye as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. This is repetitive. We just keep doing it. Uh, do y'all know that I look back in some of my notes? When we came in 1986, this church only had the Lord's Supper four times a year. And then we change it to once a month. So we're, we're, we're being, in, this is an act of obedience, but I'm not even convinced. I mean, once a month, that, might, that may not even be enough too. I mean, it's not, again, we're not trying to earn our salvation. We're not trying to get, you know, uh, a favor from God. We're just being obedient to what he says. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, now look at the wherefore. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily, unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself. Let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. If you want to look up unworthy or unworthily, if you want to look that up, I think you could come as I have, come to the conclusion that if you eat in an unworthy manner, you can check it out, and there may be a variety of different definitions for it, but let me just say what I have seen, unworthy means unconfessed sin. If you partake of the Lord's Supper with unconfessed sin in your life, now, we've got to go back and say, Number one, has the Holy Spirit called attention to it in our lives? Has he said this is sin in your life? Or have you responded to that? And have you agreed with God? Or have you ignored it? And have you gone through the week and you've just put it aside and you haven't, you're not calling it sin? God has called it sin. He said it's sin. But we haven't said it was sin. <clears throat> well, who's right if God's saying it? It's like the bumper sticker that we've all heard about years ago. It was one that was pretty popular. God said it, and that settles it. Let's see, I believe it, and that settles it. Well, folks, if God said it, it doesn't matter if you believe it or not. If, if God said it, it really doesn't matter if you believe it. If God is calling something sin in our life... We need to agree with him and admit that that thought, that word, that harshness, that unforgiveness, that all of that is sin before a holy God. And we've got to. So I would suggest when we have the Lord's Supper that we really seriously consider 
not taking in an unworthy manner. And that is with sin that we've unconfessed and not confessed and not agreed with God about. Are we making any headway at all? I'm just trying, I'm just trying so hard. I'm trying so hard to get us to, to a place where we can understand the importance of not partaking in an unworthy manner. And this is not about works. This is not about work salvation. We're already nailed down. They were saved by, by grace through faith. So we're saved by the, by the finished work of Calvary. But it's, we're talking about our, the foundation is secure. That's Jesus Christ. But what we build on that foundation, gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, stubble, it's important that we understand that we have a responsibility to God to respond to Him when His Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit speaks and said, that is sin. And look, you, we could, this is the, the, the negative side of just taking something like this that's, I think, so important and just talking about it one time. And what we do, we're going to wait till next Lord's Supper to talk about it again. We could go through the Bible, and especially the, the New Testament, and we could talk about all the different ways that we break God's heart and we disobey Him. I was thinking, Roger, you, uh, you and I had some um, pretty good discussions about uh, some things about, and found in Matthew chapter 6. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets that they may be seen of men. You see, that gets into the motives of, of, of us. That, you know, we can pray this flowery prayer in public to be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But if thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door... Pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which is, seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when thee pray, use not vain repetitions, as the heathen do, for they think they shall be heard for their much speaking. See, we could just take a topic of prayer, and we could just start going through the different things about prayer. Um, and it goes, the Lord's Prayer, Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts. And forgive our, as we forgive our debtors. Now that, think about that. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lord, forgive our debts like we forgive each other. I don't think we want him to do that. 
For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. It talks about when you fast, laying up treasures. It just goes on, seek the, first the kingdom of God. So you could take all these different areas and, and look at them and say, Lord, uh, we're going to, I'm going to have to get down to business here. So <clears throat> since we're being conformed to the image of Christ, and that's, a, I think, a painful uh, proposition to be conformed because my flesh, my flesh is contrary. My old man is contrary. Though he's been crucified with Christ, my, my flesh is still contrary. So, but it's imperative that I am so sensitive to the word of God, the Holy Spirit of God, when he speaks my heart, it's imperative that I respond in a positive fashion, a positive way to the Holy Spirit, whatever it is he's saying to me about me. See, I, I just, I'm sorry. There's a lot of people wanting God to speak to the other person. Let's talk about us. The scripture says, examine yourselves. Examine yourselves. And not partake in an unworthy fashion. It's imperative that we Allow the Holy Spirit to do his job. And if not, we're at risk. And this, this, if we don't understand what God is doing in our lives, we are at risk of some several things happening in our lives. If we're not understanding the being conformed process and understanding what God is doing, then there is a very strong possibility, and there's a lot of ingredients that can go into this. There's a very strong possibility we can become bitter. We can become bitter. We can become bitter because, listen, if, if I get hurt, if I get my feelings hurt and I nurse that, if I'm, I've been offended by someone and I'm nursing that, and I'm, I, can, I look up and I can become very bitter. Well, what is bitterness? Bitterness is a sin. Taking up an offense for somebody else. That's a sin. And I can become bitter and angry. I can become lukewarm. Well, what, what's God's word say about being lukewarm? What does he say? I'm going to spew him out of your mouth, his mouth. We can become very weary Anybody here understand weariness in the Christian life? You're going through the Christian life. You just keep plugging away, plugging away, plugging away. And first thing you know, things are, things are just not going just the way you would have planned it. And you're tired and you're uh, hurting and you're struggling and you can become very weary. And guess what happens after that? Once you become bitter and you become lukewarm and you get very weary, there's a good possibility you can lose your desire for fellowshipping with other believers. And then you can begin to forsake the assembling of yourselves. So all of these things go in. All of this, we, I'm saying this to, today because we need to, to take seriously 
the first John 1 9 truth that we are to take seriously that when the Holy Spirit of God is speaking to our heart that we don't stiff arm God we don't resist God we don't deny God we don't argue with God we don't blame other people in front of God we accept full responsibility for what God is trying to point out in my life. And, you know, I, you heard me say this when I went to school. I really believe some of my teachers passed me when I didn't deserve passing because of my grades were so bad. But I think they really felt like they could run a risk of getting me again the next year. And so they, they just, you know, listen, I used to think a C, if I could ever get a C in anything, ping pong, it didn't matter. If I could get a C, I was thrilled absolutely to death. But I really, that down in my heart, I believe some teachers just passed me along because they were really concerned I might repeat in their class the next year. So I'm saying all that to say, I believe I passed when I really didn't pass. But let me just give you some little nuggets from God. You're not going to pass his classroom until you pass. You're not going to go deeper. You're not going to go further. You're not going to grow. You're not going to experience all that God had. God has a wonderful plan. Remember that track? God has a wonderful plan for your life. But until we pass that test that God has allowed to come into our life, whatever that test is, and we all have different ones, whatever that test is, until we pass, we're not going to pass. He's not going to just scoot you along and say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. He's not going to do that for you. He has a plan. He has a purpose. He has it all worked out. And he's waiting on me. It's my part, my responsibility to do business with God every day of my life. And if I'm just in oblivion and I'm just going through life and I'm, you know, all excited about, you know, Target and all this other. I was thinking about Bud Light. I was hoping Christians for hundreds of years have been boycotting Bud Light. I mean, I hope this is not a new thing for some of us. But all of a sudden you just decide to start boycotting Bud Light. When I got saved, when I got saved, I started boycotting Bud Light. Amen. amen. Come on, y'all. Come on. Do I have an amen? Yeah, fishing for an amen. That's what we're doing. <clears throat> so what I'm, what I'm saying, excuse me for the whatever. Um, not for the word, not, not apologizing for the word, but for the raspiness. But I want us to, and there's more to come. There's more to come. We have so much more to think about when we're thinking about approaching the Lord's table. This is very somber. People told me, oh, it's a big celebration. Let's all just high five and celebrate. Well, it is a big celebration, but it's also a very somber command that we are to examine ourselves. And, and I don't know about you, but if I started right now, uh, I don't know when I'd get through examining myself. So it's important. Can we come to the conclusion then that the word of God is correct? 
If you say you have no sin, you've deceived yourself. Could we agree to that? That's what the Bible says. If you say you have not sinned, you deceive yourselves. And if you say you've not sinned, then you're calling God a liar because God's saying you have sinned. So when are we going to get right with God? You're going to wait till after the Lord's Supper? Are you going to wait 10 seconds before the Lord's Supper or right before you tip your head back with the juice? When will it be? How long is it going to take? God keeps pounding and pounding and pounding certain things, and it keeps coming from this pulpit. When are we going to get to the point where we say, God, you are right. You are right. It's me who's in need of prayer. I just wonder if today we've come to the place where we're willing to be transparent with God and honest with God and not worry about what anybody else in this whole building thinks. I mean, I don't think, you know, I don't think it, it's important for us to be that concerned. Well, I, I, so-and-so, I can't do that because I've had people say, you know, oh, I couldn't go down front. I couldn't go down front because what would people think? Who cares what other people think? What does God think about this? What does God think? We're going to have the Lord's Supper this afternoon. And I encourage, I certainly encourage every one of us. What about the, uh, Roger, I was thinking about the verse you and I talked about. If you bring your gift to the altar and at the altar, remember? If you bring your gift to the altar and there, remember that your brother has ought against you. What does it say to do? Does anybody remember? What does it say to do? Leave your gift at the altar. Go and first be reconciled, then come back. Isn't that what it says? So there are so many areas that we could explore, so many areas that need to be dealt with. Our relationship with our wives, our husbands, it's important. So I encourage you. I encourage you to really respond and, and don't, worry, don't worry about what other people are going to think. We're going to have our invitation. And I would really highly, highly encourage you to just really don't leave here until we've really done some serious business with God. It's so important. Life is so short. I mean, every day I read of different ones. They thought they had a long life to live. And their life is ended. It's over. And so I would encourage you, please, let's, let's, let's spend some serious time with God today. And let him show us, each one of us individually, show us ourselves like he sees us and like he knows us. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for the 1 John 1, 9 truth about confession of sin how important it is that we, we come to that place that we agree with you. Father, I, I just, and again, I just know your heart. I'm getting to know you better with each passing day. And your heart is, we, we shouldn't put a time limit or a limit, a man's limit on how many times we come. We need to just keep coming to you and coming to you and coming to you and speaking with you and telling you that we're, we, we're wrong. And you're conforming us to the very image of your son. 
And that's not an easy task. We're so unchristlike. We're so human. We're so unlovable at times. And some people will just do anything to get attention for themselves and anything to be approved by man. I pray, Father, you'd break down all those barriers and those walls today. There'd be a genuine revival take place in our hearts. That there'd be a real response from your word today. That our hearts would be changed. We'd never be the same after hearing the word of God and the challenge from 1 John 1.9. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the forgiveness of sin. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for all that he's done on our behalf. And we just love you and praise you and thank you for just the wonderful gift of eternal life through faith in Jesus, your son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.